FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswhat.com. Okay, this is a uh, preamble to the show itself. This is, is Mark and I talking prior to our major interview with George Nori, which we have just completed, actually. But we're sticking this at the front of the show just to remind listeners that the Saswat Meetup is coming up August... What did you say? The 5th? August 5th. August 5th in Peninsula, Ohio. So if you're in the Ohio area, and we know a lot of listeners are in the Ohio area... Um, we're going to meet up at Fisher's Cafe and Pub. It's called a pub. It's mostly not, pub. It's, it's. I mean, the back half <laughs> of the building is a pub. But, right. Um, the front half of the building is a restaurant. We're probably going to sit, I would imagine, out on the patio. But either way, uh, come down to Peninsula. I think, what is the start time for this? Do we have that? Um. I have it at six o'clock. Okay, so we're start. We're saying six o'clock, which is early, but it's a Friday night. So, so leave work early and come join us <laughs> in Peninsula for dinner. Um, yep. If you're on Facebook, go on our Facebook page, hit that join button, so we know you're coming, so we can have some sort of idea what what we need to be doing in terms of reserving space at the restaurant. But uh, even if you're not going to do that, don't worry about it. Just come down. We're we're just excited to have people with us uh, at this event so um again that's the saswat meetup and it's taking place in peninsula ohio on august 5th which is friday at six o'clock so are we, we are we leading a peninsula python expedition oh my gosh that's actually the secret is <laughs> afterward we're going to find the peninsula python deep in the jungles of cuyahoga valley national park so yeah, I just recently learned they have a one-day festival, Peninsula Python Festival. It's not. I just saw that somewhere. This I don't know when overlap when is it? it is. This isn't. Huh? Is there is there overlap? Are we? I don't think so. Wouldn't it be incredible? I, we could, we should have scheduled that. <laughs> Maybe next year. The next Saswat <laughs> yeah. meetup. But yeah, this Saswat meetup is August fifth at six o'clock p.m. So we hope to see you guys there, and uh, let's get into this interview we just did with George Nori. This is Sasswat, a podcast about Bigfoot, and I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined tonight by my pal, as always, Mark Matsky. Greetings from Northeast Ohio. And uh, tonight we're joined by a special guest, one George Norrie. You may know him as the host of Coast to Coast AM, the world-famous radio show that Mark actually helped introduce me to. Last year, um, I got to spend some time with George back in, I think it was March, out in Colorado when I was at the uh, Beyond Belief show that I did. And uh, George is a is a fascinating character to me because he he's a, a he's a journalist, a reporter. He kind of reminds me of what I would like to be because he's he's very serious about the subjects that he's involved in. And he has an amazing kind of personality for this kind of thing. So he seemed to me to be the perfect kind of fit for us to talk to someone to on this very show. And obviously someone with such a prestigious background is someone we want to get their thoughts on so many different opinions and pick their brain. So 
That is what we're going to do tonight is pick George Norrie's brain about <laughs> Bigfoot and uh, the paranormal and pretty much everything else that we can think of. Um, and I'm sure Mark has an endless litany of things he wants to talk about. <laughs> Litanies are my specialty, are they not? <laughs> yeah. So uh, so I'm going to let Mark open up, actually, and, and get right in for, for George. Oh, man. Well, George, first of all, thanks for coming on with us. We really appreciate it. Hey, Mark, it's uh, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I just interviewed Seth on uh, Coast to Coast, and uh, the, uh, we we're talking about the invite to appear on your show, and uh, so I jumped at it. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, fantastic. Hey, you know, well, I've been a listener ever since you, you know, took the reins at Coast, and um, I'm kind of – the thing that I don't know about you – is about your uh, Nighthawk days. Can you talk a little bit about oh, those? Oh, absolutely. Let me let me ex- give you a little background into myself yeah, in terms of the professional background. I don't yes, want to go please. way back when I was a kid, but I <laughs> uh, got into broadcasting when I was 19 years old, and I was a copy boy production assistant at a television station in Detroit, Michigan, where I was born. And I did that for a couple of years, got a job as a radio reporter at a 50,000-watt station in Detroit. It was called WCAR at the time. And from there, I kind of blossomed. I wanted to start doing some television. So I was hired as a producer at a TV station, and then I went to another station in Detroit as an executive producer. After four years there, I went to Minneapolis as the country's youngest news director at a major market. I was 28 years old. After that, I went to St. Louis as a news director, and at that point, NBC was trying to hire me for either Los Angeles or New York, and I was just happy in the Midwest. I was a kid who was born in Detroit, and that's what I wanted to do, and my wife was there, and my kids were there, and um, you know, I was a young kid at 28, 29 years old, and I wanted to stay in St. Louis. I really enjoyed that opportunity, and I did that for three years. And the station was sold, and the management came in, and I had a pretty good contract. And they, you know, were hemming and hawing. And while they were hemming and hawing, a public relations company offered me a job to set up a television division for them uh, at about, you know, a time and a half of what I was earning at the TV station. So I went to the management of the new people, and they said, well, you know, we haven't closed on the purchase of the station yet. It could take another three months, so we don't know what we're going to do. And I said, yeah, but my contract's up. What, what's happening? Mm-hmm. And, well, you know, we don't know. So I took the public relations job. But from that point, uh, I went into, I owned a restaurant, I owned a television production company, and I did all of those things and got out of the business. I, I got out of broadcasting, and years later, after I'd sold those businesses, shut the restaurant down, that wasn't very successful at all. I wanted to get back into broadcasting, and I had to re- literally recreate myself. I was watching television one night, and I was watching a movie called Talk Radio. Eric Bogosian was the actor, and it was based on a true story of a talk show host named Alan Berg from Denver, who was killed by a neo-Nazi group uh, after his show. And I went, my God, I mean, that's unbelievable stuff. That's one thing I haven't done. I haven't done talk radio. The biggest station in St. Louis at the time was KMOX Radio. 
they had an exodus of talent that decided to jump ship and go to a different station. So they were shorthanded. So I called up the uh, general manager and the program director. They all knew about me. And they said, yeah, we could use your help. Come on in. We can't pay a lot, but, you know, at least you can uh, help us and we can help you. So I did. I started doing talk radio and filling things on that station. At that point, um, a competing station that was running coast-to-coast canceled coast-to-coast. This is how ironic everything is. And hired me to do the late-night local talk show in St. Louis, and I was called the Nighthawk. Yeah. And I did a lot of things that we did on Coast to Coast then and now, same guests, and just kept building that. We became number one in the marketplace. And at that point, the network, Coast to Coast, uh, that was on a different station in the market finally, decided they wanted me to do some fill-in for Art Bell. So that's what I did. So I would do my local show, I would do coast-to-coast, and it just took off. And then one day they called me back up and said, we're flying to St. Louis, we need to talk to you. And I said, about what? And they said, we're going to make you an offer to be full-time. And I went, why? And they said, well, Art's retiring. And I'm thinking to myself, again. (laughs) And... (laughs) So they, they flew to St. Louis, and they had a contract in their hand. There was no negotiating. Keep in mind, I'm a guy in St. Louis, a little market there. Uh, they put it on the table. I looked at it and went, Jesus, this is five times what I'm earning right now. And I tried to keep my composure. I didn't try to jump up and down. And I said, well, can I have this or that? And they said, okay, that's reasonable. So they tossed in a few more little goodies and we signed the contract, and that was uh, in September of 2002, and I went on the air full-time for Coast to Coast. I had been filling in part-time for years, but I went on the air full-time in January of 2003, and that's how it all happened. So, George, because it sounds to me like prior to kind of coming to Coast, you, you really didn't, had you ever had any kind of dealings with like the paranormal or... The un, like the strange and unusual. I mean, what was your kind of was was coast a baptism into that kind of thing? Oh no, I was born in the paranormal. Okay. Uh, when I was eleven years old, I had an out of body experience. My mother used to bring me home books on UFOs and extraterrestrials. I studied Eric von Doniken when I was a teenager. Edgar Casey, the prophet. I was into all those things, so it was a natural evolution for me. And I did many of those kinds of shows when I was the local Nighthawk in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So that's what caught the ear of uh, of the network when they decided to have me start doing some filling because they said, "My God, this guy's doing our stuff. He knows it. He knows he knows the genre. He knows it all." I first got interested in Bigfoot when I was a young kid reading about the abominable snowman, the Yeti. Uh, And, you know, years later, I began to study uh, the fact that this this creature, whatever it might be, is also here in the United States. It's in North America. And so I got into all these things prior to doing the radio shows. Um, One of the main reasons I decided to get into the media, radio and television, was to unravel these kinds of stories, because... I said to myself, 
as a news person, it'll be easier to approach the people that are doing all of this rather than just some guy who is interested and calls up. And that opened up a lot of doors for me. But to answer the question, yes, I was into the paranormal and the supernatural way before I was a talk show host. You you briefly touched on Bigfoot, so I got to go there real quick. I'm, All right. You you put me on the spot when I was on Coast, and you asked me if I believe in Bigfoot. So I've got to turn to the tables and ask you the same question, and then also add the addendum uh, to to get into asking you kind of what if you do believe it exists, what you think it might be. Okay, I believe, and I'm not hedging this, mm-hmm. but I believe people are seeing something. Uh, yes. Are they seeing uh, wackos in costumes? Sometimes, yes. Mm-hmm. Are they seeing uh, some kind of a bear running across the road and they think it's a different kind of creature? Sure. But I'm convinced that there's something else out there and that people are seeing this creature uh, and they're seeing it all over the, the world and they're seeing it a lot in North America. Now, if you'd ask me, as you just did, what do I think it is? I do not think it's some dimensional creature. I do not think it's some kind of extraterrestrial. I think it's an animal, um, a step above an ape, way be, be, below a human being. Um, I've always thought of it as possibly that link between the two, because it does seem to have a little bit more intelligence than an animal. Uh, though animals have more intelligence than most humans, I'm beginning to think. And, <laughs> but, but that's what I think it is. I, I think it's a creature, a physical creature, uh, and the fact that people really haven't caught it does not negate the fact that it's out there. George, do you get inundated with quote-unquote evidence? I mean, are people sending you things constantly uh, and coming up to you and giving you... Like their sighting report. We and get stuff. we get pictures, uh, Seth and Mark. We get pictures of UFOs or Bigfoot sightings. Um, I don't know if they're photoshopped or not. We don't have the capability here to try to analyze that. So I'll send them to my webmaster, and he'll post them. He'll put some quotes on that. Um, what I don't get is a lot of physical evidence. I don't mm-hmm. get you know casts of of a foot of a Bigfoot, or, or parts of uh, an extraterrestrial finger, or anything like that. Uh, I just don't. But I do get a lot of letters and a lot of pictures from people. Yes, something that, that struck me about being on the show with you is nothing seems to phase you. Because we were getting phone calls, and some of these people were really saying things that were were uh, blowing my mind. Like, th- there was a particular story about a, a, a possible, like, Bigfoot government killing machine that that really took me aback and, and things like that. But you don't seem to uh, kind of get phased by these things, which I'm assuming comes from years of working in radio and, and dealing with that. But do you ever get stories uh, that come at you where, where you almost have to respond, where you're like, what, what on earth is happening? <laughs> What I try to do is question the person, but I don't want to blow the bubble of the guest. I mean, it's not that kind of a show. Right. I mean, if, if I wanted to put on Mr. George Norrie's newsman's hat and go after them and say, I want to know the evidence. You don't have this. You don't have that. 
it, it bursts the bubble not only for the guest but for the listener because I want them to sit back and make up their own minds and think and just you know let their minds wander a little bit so I don't do that the the thing that I really challenge and push is if I think there's somebody out there as a huckster as a huckster trying to make money I have no problem Seth and Mark if somebody writes a book somebody's got a DVD Somebody wants to do things like that, but when they're doing something else, and, I, and I'll give you an example. There was a guy who claimed to have Bigfoot trapped in a yard, and he couldn't get out because he was fenced in, and he couldn't climb it. Uh, and he claims that he was doing a pay-per-view television of Bigfoot <laughs> running around back there, and he wanted people to pay like God knows what amount of money oh. to do that. That's when I put the the clamps down a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, but but by and large, you know, nothing. You're right. It, it doesn't face me, whether it's a ghost story or a UFO or Bigfoot or um, some miracle mystery. Uh, I I I want to get the most out of my guest or the most out of my listener, and the only way you can do that is by pulling them along rather than stepping on them all the time. Mm-hmm. It's it's a tightrope, I feel like, too, because, I mean, that's that's the tightrope we walk when we're making our movies or, or doing the show, even, is is you you want you obviously aren't out there trying to perpetrate a hoax. I mean, anyone's going to put the kibosh on something like what you just talked about with that uh, possible hoax um, is someone, you know, you, you want the truth out there, but at the same time, you do want these people to feel comfortable and able to tell their stories. Um, is there any particular story or guest that stands out to you um, from any time period that you you respond to or refer to all the time as being, you know, one of your tops? Many of them are. Um, many have been just superb guests in the field that they're in, whether it's ufology or cryptozoology, or ghosts. We have some certain experts who are just phenomenal at what they do. And those guests come back quite often. You hear them a lot on the show because they're good. They're good at what they do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what I like. I, I ask my producers, I said, you know, put, it, put a great guest in with me. Um, and you'll find if you hear more about me on the show than the guest, it's not a great guest because I don't want to dominate the program. I want to be able to facilitate it and move it along and get the great questions out. But if you're hearing me talk more than the guest, the guest isn't that good. And gosh, I've had some guests on guys who have, you know, it's a three to four hour live show and you ask them a question and their first answer is yes. <laughs> uh-huh. and, and, you, and you go, oh my yes. God, <laughs> you know, I got to pull this along for three hours. That's so a set. That, that's you know, a set. And, and you guys have been there. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, George, you know, as far as the Bigfoot field, you know, you've, you've talked to a lot of the leading lights in the Bigfoot field at, I guess this piggybacks on Seth's question a little bit, but when it comes when you're thinking about, you know, I'd like to do a Bigfoot show. Who are some of the the guys that you want or gals <laughs> that you want to talk to about, you know, some Bigfoot case because you know that they're gonna they're gonna be good for you. Lauren Coleman, I like him. 
Um, <clears throat> Matt Moneymaker, I like him. Those those two pop up. Seth is very good at what he does. Mm-hmm. Had to throw you in there, Seth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your check's in the mail. <laughs> We've. Uh, I'll send it right back. You know. <laughs> But, you know, those, just to name a few, those uh, those are the places. Uh, you know, Melba Ketchum, the DNA expert, uh, has been good on our show. Uh, whether you believe what she's been doing or not, looking for DNA of Bigfoot. Uh, so, yeah, there's a whole litany of people in that field. Um, the sad part about it is is that the older guys are dying off. Mm-hmm. They're not around anymore, or they're slowing down. And we need to replace them with some great younger investigators. I don't know if that's happening. And uh, I'm just afraid that the research is going to go, you know, die on the vine. Yeah, I, I, I have the same concerns, actually. I don't know. I know a lot of very young people. I'm talking, you know, kids, like kids under the ages of like 15, 14, 15, who are out there who are really into this, who seem to have a genuine interest in it. It seems like anyone over the age of like 25 who's in it, but under say like 40, it's very money or fame kind of motivated, um, which concerns me as well. But I, I, I kind of agree. Like I, I want to see the next John Green come along is what I want personally. Yeah. So exactly, right. we do the, the the that field, the field of ufology, all of it needs upcoming, uh, dedicated young researchers who don't get tainted by reality television. That you know, kind of wants to force you. You know, you go out to do a little Bigfoot search. You got to have something happen. It's television. You can't do a show and not have any excitement, and that that's disappointing to me. Because that doesn't happen all the time. You know, sometimes if you go out in the field, it could be weeks, it could be months, if you hear anything mm-hmm. or see anything, if at all. Well, you you mentioned television. What what do you think of shows like Finding Bigfoot and Mountain Monsters? I hate I hesitate to put them in the same category, but these kind of uh, overblown, kind of Bigfoot cryptid you know, entertainment. What do you think of shows like that? Do they, do you think they help the subject hinder it? I think they're great television, but in some cases, the way they're produced, they hurt the efforts, uh, to do what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, you know, that's just the reality of TV. It's the same with ghost hunting. It's the same with UFO hunters. Uh, it's the same with uh, just about everything like that. Uh, you you know, reality television has to have some kind of conclusion to it in an episode or something dramatic to keep you going to the next show. And so in that respect, it's hurt the research, but it's gotten a lot of people interested in the subject matter, too. Yeah, Mark and I have talked about that, like shows like Finding Bigfoot, getting kids into the subject. There's got to be an untold number of children who are... Super into Bigfoot. You haven't. You probably haven't even seen that pay off. But give it like ten years, you're going to see those kids probably still involved in the subject. Yes, absolutely. And uh, you know, we just uh, we just got to keep hoping against hope that uh, that we can generate more and more interest in these kinds of fields. I mean, I'm seeing it with my radio show that a lot of people continue to get interested in the subject matter. I mean, our audience space is bigger than it's ever been. And, you know, we've been doing it now. I've been doing it for 13 years, going on 14. That's a good sign. 
so that that brings up an interesting point to me, which is that so you say f- the coast is kind of at its its height right now, and a lot of people when they're talking about radio right now talk about the death of radio, just like they're talking about the death of newspapers. I worked in newspapers, and people are always saying because of new media these things are dying off. But I'm I personally kind of feel like podcasts. Uh, just give an extra audience to shows like Coast to Coast. And I think you guys have probably seen that because cause I know you do kind of a subscription thing with mm-hmm. Coast. I, do, do you think that's part of what's broadening the audience is the Internet? or? Well, we're on 615 radio stations now. When I came in back in January of 2003, we were on 445 stations. We've literally saturated the market. Mm -hmm. But podcasting and streaming has added that. Lots of speech people. I mean, I get calls from a guy in the Netherlands on Skype on the show. It has allowed us to grow the program in different areas, too. And one day when they get rated, it'll help us uh, on a business model, uh, to be sure. Um, We have just implemented a little program, an idea that I came up with, to feature people in your field who are doing podcasting who aren't necessarily getting the kind of exposure. You guys are fortunate. You're on 97.1 FM, too. But a lot of people who podcast don't have that ability to broadcast on terrestrial radio and to get the word out with what they're doing. We're going to start highlighting them on the program in a two- or three-minute you know, interview, mentioning who they are, interviewing them, talking about their podcast, giving them some exposure that they're normally not going to get. That's awesome. I yeah. love that. Hey, George, speaking of your audience, are you ever surprised by how much your work means to people? Because, I mean, I'm sure that you know that you become more than just a, a program to people, but you become sort of a companion you know, through the nighttime hours and so forth. Anything ever stand out where that just is uh, kind of a surprise to you, or is that something you expect? I realized when I started uh, doing heavy live events, uh, going to live events, hosting panels, or doing my own live stage show events with guests and a band and everything else, I began to realize that in the meet and greets thereafter, that this program meant a lot to people in a way I really didn't get. You don't get that when you're in a radio studio every night. You do get that when you go out and you talk to people face-to-face. Yes, we have people that call the radio show and they say, you know, I've been listening since I was a kid, or I listened with my father, or this or that. And it's touching. It really is touching. But when you go out in public and you have a TSA agent as you're going through a ticket line, security section stop you and you go oh no what the heck did i do here (laughs) and say love your show my god it was great i had a guy in denver where we tape our beyond belief television shows just last week he was at the tsa and i was lucky enough to get tsa pre-screen which means you don't have to take off your shoes or put your liquids in a little bag and send it through the conveyor belt you can keep it in your suitcase or your carry-on bag and so I'm going through that. I give him, give him my license. He, he's got my boarding pass. He looks at it, looks at me, and goes, oh, my God, I love your show, checks it off. And he's talking to me, and the line's getting bigger and bigger <laughs> behind me. And I'm saying to myself, God, i got to get going. These people are going to be ticked at me. Yeah. And so I get going, and the guy stops, 
and he goes running up to one of his other people, and he switches places with them, and then he now becomes the guy that I have to go through the metal detector. And so I had him as the boarding pass checker. Now he's the metal detector TSA guy, and he wanted to do that just to continue talking to me. And uh, so when you when you go through things like that, you realize, God, this show really is touching people in a way you just didn't get it. Or when a police officer calls you and says, thank you for supporting us. It mm. means a lot to us every night. Um, that, that That's important now. And I, I didn't get all of that in the studio. I started getting it when I went out on the street and met these people, met our listeners face-to-face. Uh, so so after Coast, do you, do you have any... I guess what I want to know is because, you know, for myself, there's these dream projects I want to do. Like Mark and I have secretly been working on this Ohio Bigfoot book for like uh, two years since we actually first met. So hurry up and finish it. I know my show, would you? I know we got to do it. So (laughs) so I mean, do you have like a dream project, something you've always wanted to do, something you 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 know, I guess it wouldn't be a secret project if you actually tell us, but some subject you want to broach, something you want to do. Yes, there's a project I haven't accomplished yet, and I want to do that. And um, I have a book coming out on July 26th called Night Talk. It's a novel. It's my first novel about a late-night talk show host who dabbles in the conspiracies and the paranormal. Go figure. I want that story to be turned into a weekly television show, you know, with some great Hollywood actor playing me, doing what he does in doing what we do that's that's my goal that's my next project that's what i want to see accomplished and the first step was getting the book out that's happening and then we'll see what happens i have had some interest from some people in hollywood uh who are looking at it and we'll see what happens what was that project like i mean what was the process like putting that book together it's Uh, a lot of work yeah how long was it writing books is a long time now. I've had the fortunate luxury of having partners write a lot of the books with me, uh, where I give them the outline, they interview me, and then they fill in the gaps. That's that's worked on a lot of these past projects. On this one, I had to do most of it myself. And I had an editor who screened it and looked at it and said, no, how about this, how about that? Uh, but it's a teeny. It's a very tedious job. You don't you don't make a lot of money in the book business anymore. It's right. it's just not like it used to be. Um, but it was fulfilling. I have one more coming out next year. It's a uh, it's a biography on me, um, and then I think I'm going to take it easy for a while because I would have had. I think that would have been that would be book number six next year. Hmm. Did Night Talk turn out the way that you wanted it to? I mean, it, like, is it, it, it actually turned out a little better than I thought, because great. I'm not going to give away the ending, but it, it gelled better than I thought. Uh, it, it took a while, because I'd been working on the project with another writer years ago, and it just wasn't working out the way we wanted. So I pulled it and tabled it for a while, and then came back to it and redid it. Uh, and it, it turned out pretty good. It's it's a fun, fast-paced book with a great storyline to it. 
So, uh, I'm just curious now because because I've worked on fiction before myself. So when you're when you were plotting this, is this something where you you sat down and you plotted you know A to B to C, or is it something that kind of came across naturally while you were writing the book, or how how intricately did you plot the book? You, you try to come up with the whole concept, mm-hmm. but it does change and evolve as you begin to get into it, mm-hmm. and as the paragraphs begin to flow you change this a little bit or that, and then you write the next paragraph and the next one. You kind of know where it's going to end. You just got to figure out how to get to it. In in film, we have this saying that that a, a movie doesn't ever actually finish. You never actually finish with a movie. It, it escapes. Um, did, did you feel like that when you wrapped up, you know, writing this? Or is it something where you were, you were like, I'm done, this is absolutely 100% where I want it to be. Yeah, I mean, we we felt, uh, the editor and I, mm-hmm. Bob Gleason from Tor Forge, that it had a great beginning, a great middle, and a great end. And in a book like that, you really can't ask for too much more than that. Mm-hmm. So I'm very satisfied with the way it came out. That's awesome. That's great. And I dedicated it to my mother. She's going to be 88 years old. Oh, she listens wow. to Coast to Coast religiously and calls me the next day wanting to know why I had that guest on and yells at me. That's Seth Breedlove. <laughs> the Seth Breedlove guest. She wanted to know why you yeah. had me on. No, that's how my mom is actually with Sasquatch. She listens to she listens to every episode of Sasquatch at least like six, seven times. I'm not exaggerating either. She really does. Like she And they, and they critique us. Yes. Why did you do that? 100%. <laughs> Yeah, that's how my mom is. She's listening to this right now, wanting to know why I'm bringing up the fact that she listens. That's funny. That is funny. Yeah. I love it. Hey, George, to, to one more Bigfoot-oriented question. Yeah. That just popped into my head. You know, I mean, you're well-versed with all of the evidence that's out there. To you, what is one of the most compelling pieces of evidence that we've got? Well, it's not the guy who claims to have shot Bigfoot. <laughs> You know, it's 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 none of that. Um, I think the most compelling evidence we have of Bigfoot is eyewitness testimony from people who are not insane, who are not making up these stories, who have truly been frightened or shaken because they have seen these creatures and they've seen them either by their houses or running across the roads they have seen something. And to me, when so many people, they've been doctors and they've been professionals and they've been just folks who live at their house, when so many people report obje- uh, creatures like that, you have to say there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I, I echo that 100% actually with my kind of experience with the the subject as well let me really quick uh george suggest the uh wachita project monograph from the north american wood ape conservancy with which is nawac they're a, a bigfoot research group they they actually go into one particular area in the wachita mountains uh during the summer and they're in there for like five months in shifts um pretty much every week and they've cataloged some really amazing stuff in there over the last probably five six years i don't know if you're familiar with kathy strain but she's involved in the group and she's she's done some amazing work as well with uh, a book she wrote called uh, giants cannibals and monsters so if you're ever looking for some really good 
big footery that is tops um, as far as like uh, evidence in favor of of the creature's existence. Because whenever I'm feeling extremely skeptical, that's that's one of the places I turn to kind of bring me back over. Yeah, definitely. Uh, send uh, producer Tom some info, contact info. Yeah, I'll have to, and we'll uh, we'll get working on that right away. Yeah. All right. So now you guys have an event coming up in Asheville. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I'm doing a lot of live stage show events now, and mm-hmm. I just completed one in St. Louis. Uh, I've done them in Toronto and Vancouver, and I'm doing one in Asheville, North Carolina, on August 27th. It's a live stage show event, which will include three guests, Micah Hanks on UFOs, William Forstgen on solar flares and EMPs that could take down our power grid, and paranormal investigator Joshua P. Warren. Live band there. I do the. I sing at these events. Uh, it's a full show. It's going to be in the Diana Wortham Theater in Asheville, North Carolina. And for folks who want information on that, because I love it when people come in from outstate, way beyond the region of, let's say, Asheville or St. Louis, or wherever these events are. You can just go to our website, coast2to.coasttocoastam.com or georgenori.com, and you just click on the uh, highlight picture of the Asheville event, and you can pick out your own seats and tickets, but that's going to be August 27th. I'm going to be down there, uh, meet and greet after the show. We're going to have some fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Any, Any plans to come to Ohio at any point? I would love to come to Cleveland, um, not far from Detroit. Give me an opportunity to go see my mom. We've got a huge audience in the Cleveland area, and uh, that's something I'll mention to Tom, and he can start working on it. That'd be great. I will attend. Mark will attend. We'll Perfect. Be the, we'll be the guests. You might in the front even row. be. You might even be the guests for one of the segments. <laughs> there you go. See how skillfully you got that in there. Yeah, yeah. that's. It was all a plug for us, actually. That's right. It was a plan. <laughs> Oh boy. Well, George, one last question from me. Yeah. Um beyond being entertained, what do you hope your listeners take away from your show? I have an epitaph that I'd like people to read on my tombstone when that day comes. And that was he made a difference. And to me, that would be the most satisfying thing that I could do on this program. Beyond entertaining beyond informing, beyond keeping people sane during these unbelievably strange times, I want them to be able to say, he got me through the day. And you know what? If I can do that, it's well worth it for me. Great, great answer. I, I have to say, George, we I was asked at a uh, recent library event what it was like uh, talking to you. There, we actually had someone turn up from for one of our library screenings of Beast of Whitehall. They actually came from three hours away because they saw me on that Beyond Belief show. And they asked what it was like to get to, you know, meet you and talk to you. And I said, the the thing I can tell you about George that struck me right off the bat is I've done a lot of these interviews. I was just on the radio today with another guy locally. Um, I said, the thing about George is that he instantly put me at ease, which I'd never been on television in that kind of, you know, long form kind of talk Mm -hmm. show format. So for you to be able to actually put me at ease to the point where I could speak or string together a sentence without, 
you know, stumbling over my words or drooling on myself, which I <laughs> want to do, uh, <laughs> says speaks volumes about you. So uh, that was my response was he just put me at ease. So I have to say, um, if nothing else, like you, you definitely have have made a difference in it. And in our year um, for Small Town Monsters and Sasswood, this this was a huge deal for for us, which you probably didn't realize. But Mark is a massive George Norrie fan and a massive Coast to Coast fan, and and he was extremely excited to get to talk to you. So well, great, yeah. And it was, this was my honor being on your program. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us and for spending a little bit of time with us. We really appreciate it. And if you're in the Asheville area, head out and see George live because I think that's that's got to be a treat. So when you when that new book is on Bigfoot is done, let me know. I Get will. Back on. I will do that. It'll be soon. Okay. Maybe Super. a couple of years. <laughs> All right. Thank you, George. Thank you. Thank you.